Good morning. My name is Joel Lingenfelter, and uh, if you don't know me, I'm the executive pastor here at LEFC. Uh, I've been here about six years, which makes me the new guy. So um, in Lancaster County anyway, it always seems like uh, people have been here a long time because it's an awesome place to be. So if you, would, uh, if you need a Bible today, our ushers would be glad to get you one. Hold your hand up, and uh, they will... will uh, provide you with one. In fall of 2013, if you were here back then, uh, we did a series on Romans. And while I was able to teach in that series, I didn't get to preach my favorite passage in all of Scripture. So when Tony laid out this summer series and said he wanted us to address passages that have been deeply meaningful in our lives, I knew we were going to get to go back to Romans today. Um, if you don't like using a, a paper Bible, uh, the Uversion app on your phone or tablet has an events tab, and in that you can find this morning's service, and that will walk you through all the verses that we will use as well. So the book of Romans. The book of Romans is written by the Apostle Paul, uh, and he wrote it to quote him, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. So his audience is mostly Gentile, meaning they were not of Jewish origin. Now, when we reach the 11th chapter of Romans, Paul makes it very clear that we, Gentiles, those not of Jewish descent, are grafted into the family of God. That means that Jews and Gentiles are now one family together. Now, here's the thing. This would have been extremely controversial to those that were Jewish. So much of their identity was wrapped up in being God's chosen people set apart for his glory. And the idea of grafting somebody else into that family and having them have the same rights and privileges, why would God do this? And so Paul, knowing that consternation, has a bridge between that and where we're going today. And it starts in chapter 11, Verse 33. So turn with me, if you will. Romans 11. We'll begin reading in verse 33. This is going to sound real familiar if you were paying attention just a moment ago. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. The God we serve is powerful and wise beyond measure. And he's so far beyond us and beyond even our ability to comprehend. Now listen to the ways different translations try to communicate the original language at the end of verse 33. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and ways. How untraceable his ways. How fathomless his ways. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. Now, unfathomable is not a word we use that often, but it just nails it. The, 
so far beyond comprehension. In Greek, it means impossible to understand. It simply cannot be comprehended. The wisdom of God, it is good, and it is deep, and it is rich, and it's beyond our ability to measure. To him be the glory forever. Amen? Amen. Now, knowing how awesome the wisdom of God is, the logical question, the thing that you got to ask next is, where do I find it, right? How do I know what the wisdom of God is? Let's listen to what 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 says. It should be on the screen for you. It says, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the nations, among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. You see, the writers of Scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit, declare God's wisdom. In other words, our Bible contains, cover to cover, the wisdom of God. Now, two weeks ago, if you were with us, Pastor Matt, he talked about how our lives should look different as we live out the faith we have been given. And last week, Pastor Nicholas talked about the authority of God in our lives and how our lives need to be submissive to Jesus. Now today, we're going to look at what it means when we live under the authority of God and how our lives will look different because of it. Let me continue in Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now, I was a kid the first time I heard a pastor say, anytime you see a therefore in Scripture, you should pause and see what it's... Yeah, yeah so you guys have heard that too, huh? Right. So what's interesting is that chapters 11 and chapters 12 in Romans, they're so different, right? And, and so what happens is that people view this little hymn that we read, 1133 to 36, almost like it's a bumper. Now, a bumper is a piece of music used in a live television production to bring the crowd out of the commercial break, right? So it's kind of throwaway music. It's just something to keep everybody entertained until the show begins. But that's not what Paul's doing here. This is not a bumper. It's a bridge, right? It's how do we take people who have just heard this news, the Gentiles are grafted into the kingdom of God, and then begin to talk about what that means to live. You see, the Jews were coming out of a system of sacrifice, one where they had to go to a priest and a sacrifice would be made on their behalf. And it involved blood, lots of blood. And this system was an integral part of their religious life. Now, a move away from this would have been profound for Jewish believers. Now, the Gentiles that Paul's writing to, they don't have this history, but they're being called, along with the Jewish believers, to do something completely different. 
to offer their bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that everything is different because of Jesus. See, Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. He was the one who died on our behalf. But importantly, he is the last sacrifice that involves death because he rose again. Through his death and his resurrection, the sacrificial system ended and ushered in something new, being a living sacrifice. <clears throat> so I don't want you to miss this. I'm going to lay it out this way. Sacrifices before Christ, right, B.C., offering dead things to God. The sacrifice of Jesus, what was dead because of sin, is made alive, right, through his transformational resurrection. Therefore, sacrifice is no longer something dead, but alive. You know, if you were here a week ago, we did baptisms in here, right? And baptism is highly symbolic of being dead in our sins and then coming alive out of that water and being made new in Christ. We are a living sacrifice. There is no need for blood any longer. So let's read it again, and let's talk about then what that means. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You know, in view of God's mercy, we don't really talk that way much, but really what it is, the point is simple. It's that, that God is not setting us up for failure. He's not telling us we need to do things and then waiting for us to fail. It's rather, it's through his mercy that we can do this at all. It is through his work in our lives. Now, one of the cool things about going to seminary is that you get to learn really big words that make you sound really smart. So one of the things that I learned in seminary is that theologians love words that end in ation. For example, like salvation. Now, you're going, okay, I didn't go to seminary. I know what salvation means. So, okay. But like last week, Pastor Matt used the word justification. Okay. But then there's glorification or regeneration or consubstantiation or Supplication, sanctification, denomination, expiation, revelation, imputation, incarnation, predestination, reformation, propitiation, recapitulation, reconciliation, transubstantiation, suprasubstantiation, and of course damnation, right? There's a lot of Asians that theologians love to talk about. Now, if you guys promise not to tell any of my pastor friends, I will tell you what one of these words means so you can sound smart too, right? And that word is sanctification. Now, we're going to talk about sanctification because it's really the theme of Romans 12. Now, sanctification is this. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to make us into the likeness of Christ. So it's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to make us look like Jesus. Now, my guess is that if you looked in the mirror, as I did, you go like, man, he's got a lot of work to do, Right? Right? All of us know we are a long way from perfect. And if you don't know that, you're even further than the rest of us, right? So we are a long way from perfect, but Jesus was not. But Romans 12.1, it's a verse about sanctification. It's about living life at the next level, 
living life that is holy and pleasing to God. And what's interesting is we can't do it on our own. Right? We can only do it through the work of God, through the mercy of God, and the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Matt, he talked about this, and he used this verse. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. You see, what's special about that is God has given us everything we need for a life that is holy and pleasing to God. So to worship God is more than what we do here on Sunday morning. It's a lifestyle. So let's look at verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now this verse, Romans 12, 2, it had a profound impact on me when I was in college. So much so that when I, you know, there was a period of time where signing somebody's Bible with your name and putting a verse under it was kind of a thing, right? This was the verse that was my thing. I think my dad killed off that thing by signing a Bible with 2 Samuel 12, 24 instead of 1 Samuel 12, 24. You can look that up when you get home. My cousin definitely knows what that is. So, <clears throat> this verse became a life verse for me because it demands change. Now, before we dig in, I want to give you a little disclaimer. If you've been at LAFC for a while, or if you've heard me preach, or maybe you've attended a class I've taught, uh, you probably know that I love Bible translation. I have a passion for original languages, and I find reading books on canon development and translation to be really fun. Now, most of you think, wow, he's a giant nerd, right? You're not wrong. Uh, but, but here's the thing. I bring it up because I think the NIV is a very, very good translation. But in Romans 12, 2, it misses something at the beginning of the verse that's pretty important. It says this. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. But the Greek word here is syskematizo. And specifically, which the word means to conform, but specifically it's written in the passive voice. And what that means is this. To conform is something you would choose to do. A passive voice is something that happens to you. You are conformed. So let me see if I can explain this. Now this is the audience participation part of the service, okay? Now every one of you has permission here in the next moment to be really loud. And I'm gonna say something that's gonna be probably pretty exciting to some of you. So are you ready? Ready? Come on, are you ready? All right, so let's hear it for the 2018 Super Bowl champion, Philadelphia Eagles. All right? Okay, all right. Now let me try something else. How about them Cowboys? Now last service there were a lot more booze, right? Um, yeah, nobody threw anything at Santa Claus, though, so it was safe. But here's the thing. This is why I bring this up. How many of you, at the moment of birth, chose to be an Eagles fan? Right? I had one hand in the last service, too. So here's the thing, right? You didn't choose to be an Eagles fan. But chances are, because you were born in Pennsylvania, east of Pittsburgh you became an Eagles fan because the culture around you talked about this. Now, some of you don't care about football, and that's fine. But the point is that 
things can change you if you allow it to happen, right? So, be not conformed to this world. Be not conformed to this world. Now, I say that, and that isn't what the verse said in the NIV, but if we actually look at the King James, right? So I said, let's get our King James on this morning. And I, I love the King James. It's a great translation, but it's also 400 years old, and a lot of language has changed. But on this, it is still as relevant as ever. Say it with me. Be not conformed. Right? Like being a Buffalo Bills fan in central Pennsylvania, this requires intentionality. Right? <laughs> you are not going to conform. There's action in the passivity of this verse. Be not conformed. And to not conform means that when the world says something is good, and God says something is bad, we agree with God. To not conform means that our behavior, that our beliefs and our thoughts are different than what the world would have us think. Be not conformed. So as you mull those words over, you might begin to realize there's some big implications. But let's talk about what it doesn't mean for a moment, right? We lived in California for a long time. And at UC Berkeley, there was a student who decided that he didn't want to wear clothes. So he just walked around campus naked, went to class naked, only in California, right? But he was definitely not conformed to the world. But that's not what Paul's telling us to do, right? He's not saying just be wacky and outlandish. There's a lot more to it. Now, the rest of the NIV is fine, but since we started in King James, we're going to finish this in King James. So let's read this verse together. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Literally, it's metamorphoste in Greek, a transformation. And this is where we get the word metamorphosis. The Greek also has a wonderful surprise for the word that's translated renewing. It means qualitatively new, right? Better than the old. Our minds without Christ are focused on the world. They are focused on the things of this age. They're consumed by the pursuit of pleasure and things without meaning. But in Christ, our minds are transformed into something new, something better than they were before. So the book of Romans, it's written to all who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. In other words, this book is written to all Christians. And after reminding us of the unsurpassed wisdom of God, Paul tells us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And how do we do this? By not allowing ourselves to be conformed to the world, but by allowing ourselves to be transformed by God as he changes us, making our minds completely new, better than the old, a new way of thinking for a new way of living. I can summarize this in six words. Say it with me. Be not conformed. Be ye transformed. Right? And do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
So what is the end result of the transition, the, the transformation? That we will be able to know the will of God, the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. See, knowing God's will is a huge deal. Why? Because God's wisdom is beyond measure, and his ways are beyond our understanding. If we know his will, we can live with the benefit of his wisdom and his ways and his understanding. So God's will matters because of his authority in our lives, as Pastor Nick taught us last week. God's will matters because it's prescriptive for our lives, as Pastor Matt taught us the week before. The sermon graphic for this series, right, a blaze where life and scripture meet. To me, that's just, that's Romans 12, where life and scripture meet. But we aren't done. We have one more verse to go before we can get to our conclusions this week. It's Romans 12, verse 3. Let's take a look. It says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. One thing I've noticed in my lifetime is that everyone thinks they're right. You ever notice that? Everybody thinks they're right. So I was in college, and I had the opportunity to take a speech class. And if you haven't figured it out, I'm not really afraid of public speaking, right? So I said to the professor, Ken, I have to do a persuasive speech can I try to persuade the class of something absurd? And she said, sure. So I decided to do my speech that the earth was flat. <laughs> now, as you can imagine, going to a college library and finding flat earth research is a bit difficult, right? So I don't remember how I got it, when there was no internet back then, but I found the phone number and I called and I joined the Flat Earth Society, <laughs> right? Yes, I was a member of the Flat Earth Society. And so they sent me, and I, I wish I had found it for this morning, they sent me a map of what the Earth looks like when it's flat. They sent me newsletters. They sent me all sorts of materials. And so I sat down. I started reading through this newsletter. I was in a great mood. I was laughing. I was having a fun time. And then it hit me. They're not kidding. <laughs> like, they actually think they're right. Right? Despite, you know, we've landed men on the moon who've taken pictures of the earth and is not flat. Like, and, and there's so many pieces of evidence that say that we live in the solar system we live in, and yet these people genuinely believe the earth is flat. Oh, right? But you know what I found? It's not just the Flat Earth Society that thinks they're right. That person you know who's in the political party you're not in, they think they're right. Right? The ref that made that bad call, he thought he was right. That's why he made the call. I actually saw a video once of two women who were so convinced they both deserved the parking spot, they were crashing their cars into each other. Now that's commitment to being right. Right? It's stupid, but it's commitment to being right. They were both utterly convinced they were in the right. 
So what does this have to do with Romans 12, 3? Everything. First of all, we need to recognize that we think we're right, but that doesn't mean we are. So why does that matter? Well, let's go back and let's look at where we began today. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. You know, I've looked at it in Greek. I've looked at it in every translation. None of them say the wisdom and riches of Joel, right? And none of them have your names either. It's all about God. Only God is completely wise. None of us knows more than God. None of us can counsel God. None of us can ever have God owe us anything. None of us can even fully comprehend who God is. Be not conformed. Be ye transformed. The world ignores God and thinks they know better. Be not conformed. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Be ye transformed. You see, Romans 12.2 gets all the love, even from me. But 12.3 is the game changer. It's the piece that says, I need to be humble and I need to allow God's wisdom to influence my life, not my high view of myself to influence my view of God's wisdom. Did you catch that? We need to allow God's wisdom to influence our lives, not our high view of ourselves to influence our view of God's wisdom. Why do I say that twice? Because it changes how we approach every issue, every debate, everything we encounter in our lives. Let me paint a picture for you. Be not conformed. The world says getting drunk is fine as long as you're of age and you don't drive. This is celebrated in our television programs, it's celebrated in movies, in our music, in our books. To conform to the world is to agree that getting drunk is part of having fun. Be ye transformed. Ephesians 5 says this, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, whether or not you choose to drink, that is between you and the Lord. But choosing to drink to get drunk, he's already answered that one for you. He said, no, that's not how my people should behave, no matter what the world says. Let's try another one. Be not conformed. The world argues that pornography is not a big deal as long as you're an adult. It's just a natural celebration of the human body. Be ye transformed. Colossians 3.5 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, 
sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Pornography, movies and TVs with rampant nudity, these things exist for one reason, to induce lust. Lust for someone you're not married to, lust for something you do not have. Their message is that sex is the most important thing, and it often leads people to sexual immorality, adultery, putting sex ahead of God, which is idolatry, and more. So before your own wisdom says, oh, this is fine, it's harmless for your eyes, ask, what is God's wisdom in the matter? Be not conformed. The world uses profanity, takes the name of God in vain frequently. A movie once called them colorful metaphors, and the whole matter is treated very lightheartedly. And the same is true with deeply crass humor. Be ye transformed. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. See, there's a lot of scripture that talks about controlling our tongues and how our speech reflects our heart. So as a Christian, is your speech any different than the world around you? Be ye transformed. Be not conformed. The world says that sex isn't reserved for marriage. It's totally fine to be intimate with someone if well, you love each other or actually this day and age till tomorrow, right? That's what the world says. It's fine. It's no big deal. Be ye transformed. First Thessalonians, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. You guys know what that means now, right? That you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. See, sex is good. It's a magnificent gift of God for the pleasure of husband and wife, and it is to be enjoyed in that context. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Sex is good, but it has its place. Be not conformed. The world says adultery is fine as long as you have an open marriage, as it's consensual. The world says that putting God behind other things in your life is fine. The world says that gay sex is fine and that anyone who disagrees, they call names. The world says that getting drunk is fine. The world says trashing people you disagree with is fine. Be ye transformed. 1 Corinthians 6 says it this way. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, a lot of people stop there, and they totally miss what Paul's saying. He goes on to verse 11 and says, And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, there's that word again, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. See, the Apostle Paul, who's he talking to in 1 Corinthians? He's talking to the church, right? He's talking to us. And he's saying, these things, these things were in your lives, past tense. And that's what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, meaning that your lives are changed by the Holy Spirit to make you more like Jesus. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Some in the church were doing these behaviors. 
adultery, being intimate with people they weren't married to, gay sex, getting drunk all the time, slandering, being dishonest in business. All these behaviors are called out by Paul as what had existed in the lives of the people making up the church. But now by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, those things are in the past. Do you see what's going on? The Holy Spirit is changing us. He's removing behaviors that are outside of God's will for our lives and making us more like Jesus. Amen? Romans 12 tells us that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and that we shouldn't think of ourselves too highly. What does that mean? It means as as a Christian, you can't start any debate with, I believe X, Y, Z, or our culture has moved on, or that's old-fashioned, or anything like that. As a Christian, this debate, every debate, must start with trying to understand what does the Word of God say in this issue? The Word of God contains the wisdom of God, the rich, deep, perfect wisdom of God. If we start with our own opinions, we're no better than the Flat Earth Society or the two women that are crashing into each other over a parking spot. When we start with our opinions, or worse, the opinions of the world, we say to God that His wisdom is not good, and we say to God that we are smarter than He is. I realize I've covered a lot of things in a very short period of time and I've not expanded on them. And the point is really to give you an idea of what does it mean to seek God's wisdom in Scripture. Be not conformed. The world has given you conclusions. The world has given you conclusions and this is the wrong place to start. Be ye transformed. Start in the Scriptures. Seek God's wisdom. If we start with the world's conclusion, we can completely fail to see what Scripture is really saying. Now, I want to explain what I mean. For example, if I decided I just want to get hammered, right? That's how I want to live my life. I'm going to pull up Isaiah 22:13 and say, but see, there is joy and revelry, slaughtering of cattle and killing of sheep, eating of meat and drinking of wine. Let us eat and drink, you say, for tomorrow we die. Amen? Don't say amen to that, right? <laughs> but yet, if all I want to do is find a scripture that supports a behavior I want, I can read that one. Now, don't read the verses around it because it's actually a warning, right? And don't dare read the context when you're trying to proof text something to see what my conclusion already is, right? Because God's not telling people to go get hammered there. But, but yet, people use it that way. And they do that all through scripture. They start with the world's conclusion, whatever it is, start with that conclusion and then go seeking how does scripture agree with what I already think. That is not how we're to read the word of God. To be transformed by the renewing of our minds means we start by seeking the wisdom of God, not with our own conclusions. My example above, I started with a conclusion and found a verse to support my point. This is the practical application of Romans 12. Not to think of ourselves higher than we ought, but to exercise sober judgment, or as one translation puts it, to think with wise discernment. Are we going to conform to the culture, allowing it to set our values, or are we going to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, seeking God's wisdom and living out his wisdom, even when the world disagrees with our choices? Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. 
In closing, I have three points. One, Scripture matters because it's God's incomparable wisdom. Two, Scripture needs to impact and inform our thinking as a result. And three, our conclusions need to come from Scripture, not be brought to Scripture. Be not conformed. Be ye transformed. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, your word is rich. Your wisdom is deep. Your knowledge is unfathomable. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for the incredible, incredible love you have for us. Thank you for your mercy that allows us to live according to your word. Lord, as we seek your scriptures, may we ask, what are you trying to tell us? Not seek to prove that our own wisdom is is wise. Lord, may we set aside our, our sense of being right to allow you to teach us what is right. So Lord, thank you for that. And if you don't know God, if you don't know Jesus, if this is totally foreign, consider making him the Lord of your life. Consider saying, Lord, I admit I'm a sinner. I believe that you died for my sins, and I choose to follow you. It's a simple way to say, Lord, be the Lord of my life. Take my life and let it be, Lord, all consecrated to thee. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.